maybe you didn't know what you got into when you joined a startup. It is the definition of entrepreneurship. You're raising your hand. Buckle your chin strap. There's no easy (laughs) cakewalk out there. Our guest today is Tyler Muse, a leader who takes care to a whole new level. When you meet Tyler, within moments, you're struck by a warmth that's rare in the hustle and bustle of startup life. When Tyler asks how he can help, it's clear he's not merely being polite. He truly means it. And this heartfelt connection goes beyond his day-to-day interactions. It's the very core of his personal life. It's what has fueled the growth of Lingo Live over the past decade transforming his passion for one-on-one coaching into a company that nurtures leaders and trailblazers. So, how does one create a thriving business with a human touch at its heart, while also juggling the constant demands of the startup world? And how does one navigate the tumultuous seas of market shifts, ensuring that your company not only survives, but flourishes? These are just some of the tantalizing topics that I got to cover with Tyler. But we didn't stop there. We also dove into Tyler's experiences navigating the complex world of mergers and acquisitions and uncovered how he's adapted to the evolving landscape of the learning and development market. And if you've ever wondered how to balance family life with the demands of being a startup CEO, well, there's no perfect rule book, but Tyler's insights are sure to be invaluable. So visionaries, grab your beverage of choice, settle in, and prepare for an enlightening journey. Let's go. And one of the things that I know is a passion of yours is bringing people closer together in the broadest sense of that term. I've heard you use that phrase before. Do you share a little bit more about that passion and how, if at all, it inspired you to start Lingo Life? Yeah, I mean, it's been something that kind of defined my life early on as a kid. I grew up in a kind of a bubble in Dallas, Texas, very kind of affluent, suburban, almost like... What's that movie with the wives that are robots? Stepford Stepford Wives Club. Thank you. (laughs) Almost kind of that vibe. And my mom, who grew up in Philly, was like, you live in a bubble. We need to shatter this bubble. We need to get you out of here. Not that, I mean, very idyllic childhood, but it's like, you need to see the world and you need to connect with other human beings. And that was a really scary proposition at 13 years old. But she Mm -hmm. moved us to London and it was supposed to be a six month kind of cultural experiment. And we stayed for three years. And that was really what sparked that eye-opening moment of connecting with other human beings from entirely different backgrounds, cultures, languages, being immersed in a new city. Everything feels different. Everything smells different. The food tastes different. You're hearing all these languages around. It scared the crap out of me at first. I didn't didn't really like it, right? Because I wasn't used to it. I was dragged over there kicking and screaming. Within a week or two, I realized like, yeah, these people may look different, smell different, feel different, whatever. You actually have a lot in common at the end of the day with all these kids. So I, I ended up going to the American school in London, which a lot of people think is an American school, but it's technically really just an international school. There's yeah. kids from all over the world that go to school there. And so my best friends were Persian, American, Korean, South African. I just had all these people from all these different walks of life, but we all kind of like doing the same things. That's what inspired this desire to step outside my comfort zone and connect with people from entirely different backgrounds. And it really from that age 13 on kind of shaped a lot of what I did with my life. What is the connection between that and the mission of Lingo Life? 
Well, the mission of Lingo Live is to empower human beings to contribute their unique potential at work. The connection between this idea of connecting people from entirely different backgrounds and the work that we do at Lingo Live is that a lot of it ultimately is about helping people find their authentic voice. And I think at the root of a lot of this kind of connecting people with different backgrounds is belonging. I belong here. You belong here. You feel safe. You feel heard. You are able to make authentic contributions. And so that's what we focus on doing at Lingo Live. That is what the mission's about, empowering these people to contribute their unique potential. So we have a variety of different products. But what got us started, and I think the first time you and I met was with our English language coaching, where you're working with individuals who speak English as a second language and the amount of empathy that our coaches have for these folks who have to go about their day trying to contribute unique ideas and stick with the flow of a meeting and articulate certain critical opinions in a second language. That's one thing to speak English. It's another thing to articulate your ideas clearly and concisely in a spontaneous kind of flow of a meeting. So that's where we see that idea of connecting people of different backgrounds and cultures is you know, helping these folks feel empowered to actually share their authentic, unique ideas and feedback and meetings. And, and that translated into managers too, which was our second product that we rolled out was our leadership coaching. We saw a lot of native English speakers say, it's hard for me to have uncomfortable conversations with people on my teams. I've never been trained on this. You know, that last piece is... So I actually went to an international school as well growing up in Kenya. And I often say when I reflect on the difference between that experience and kind of being in a more monocultural environment is being surrounded by such cultural diversity every day, I think one just breeds an inherent sense of empathy for a different perspective. But then you reflect back and you realize we're actually all different, even when we think we're in a monocultural environment. And so many times, actually, the gift of being forced into these cross-cultural interactions is like they force you to build the skills that like we're probably all in need of and many times lacking that don't exist in other places. I think that's one thing. The other is sometimes the flip of that, seeing something of yourself in another culture and realizing that thing about you that maybe in your family of origin or culture of origin just felt weird and sticky and a mistake in like somewhere else is actually valued and completely understood. But like to 13-year-old Tyler back in like the UK, what, if anything, did you learn about yourself in that period? Well, it's funny. I'm not, I'm actually thinking about when I'm smiling, I'm thinking about language and foreign languages. Part of the reason I love learning another language is that cultural aspect of it, where you find something that people say in another language that you can totally understand, but there's nothing in English that captures it. Yeah. Like you said, there's like that part of you that's missing or that part of you that's like, that's there, but you can't express. And then you see something in another language where you're just like, oh, that totally clicks. How has this influenced your leadership style as a CEO? I think you hit on it before this idea of empathy. One of the hardest things for me, like most of us struggle with kind of, you know, neurotic thoughts that run through your head and stress and anxiety. Oftentimes where it shows up most, where it manifests is like, if somebody's disagreeing with me, there's that temptation, kind of dig your heels and start to think about instead of listening to the other person and thinking about like, how can you further justify your own position here? And I think what you hit on before this idea of empathy, when you're able to connect with people from entirely different backgrounds, there's a really good translation from that experience to 
uncomfortable conversations in the workplace. Individuals may believe something, feel something, say something that you don't agree with. And rather than you trying to defend your position, really trying to not only understand what they're saying, but why they feel this way. Could be that they're right and you're wrong. It could also be that maybe they are wrong. It's actually a red herring, what they're saying. What they're saying is a symptom of a different problem, which is that they feel scared about this situation that we're going through, or they don't trust you, or they, Mm. right? It could be so many other things that if you lead with empathy for how they're actually feeling behind the sentiment of what they're saying, I think you can be more effective as a leader. Now, I am Mm. by no means perfect at this at all. This has been a journey for me over the past 11 years since I started a company. Switching gears a little bit, Lingo Live has been around for over a decade. Like in startup years, you guys are ancient, maybe on like your fifth life, so to speak. Very specifically, the learning and development market has evolved so much Mm. over that time. When you think about the company that you started and the company that you are today, what are first the changes in the market Mm -hmm. that first come to mind? And how have Lingo Live adapted to these? So basically, to summarize really quickly over those 11 years, the first kind of two years was a actually having nothing to do with learning and development. It was B2C and it was selling um, is a tutoring marketplace for people to learn a foreign language. That is what inspired me to start this company. I learned Spanish by taking lessons over Skype with a woman in Guatemala back in 2010. That was a very weird thing to do in 2010. Not many people did that. (laughs) So that business was about two years. That did not work. Learn the hard way. Most Americans unwilling to spend the time or money, unfortunately, to learn a foreign language. So then pivoted into B2B. And that was really when we, when I got my kind of like crash course in learning and development and understood mm. what is it that these people do? What is their job function? What do they care about? And I was pretty pleasantly surprised to find that, yes, these people had corporate objectives that they were focused on, but they also genuinely cared about helping people mm. in their company. So that was kind of the beginning stages of selling into L&D, learning to like tug at the heartstrings more than the purse strings. Not that the mm. purse strings don't matter. You got to you got to make it clear how yeah. this pays for itself. But if you're not speaking to the human story, at least with most L&D leaders, they kind of don't care. They would mm. have a different job if they cared only about money. They could make more money yeah. doing a different role. I think there have been a lot of changes in mm. the market for sure and a lot of new innovations. But at the core, the thing that remains the same, I think, with learning and development is how does this fundamentally help people? I don't care really how cool or unique the technology is. Sure, I'm going to have a demo with you to like see Mm. how you're using generative AI in a unique way. Like I I will be intrigued all day long about new technologies. But if you can't show me that this actually drives learning outcomes, real behavior change that changes this person's day-to-day job in a way that's meaningful to them and to my organization, like I'm not really interested... So could you like walk us yeah. through like, like what, like, how do you think about telling that story? Is it tell the story? Is it having statistics on behavior change? What have you found that works? This is maybe something we could do a better job of. We may have swung the pendulum a little bit 
back towards what I started with, which is like statistics around behavior change. I think that we need to lean more into stories and less into 360 surveys that we collect Mm. around skills. Again, not to say that stuff isn't important, but we do a lot of that. Like here are the skills that matter to your learning and development competencies and your objectives for the year. We've designed this program to ensure that people are going to improve in these skills. But I think what actually gets people to buy more truly is, okay, let's zoom out from the skills taxonomy competency world. And let's actually tell you some stories of how people were able to do these, like what they specifically were able to do and what that made them feel and what their manager said about the change. That's really the kind of one-two punch. I I like that language of the one-two punch. I don't think you can get away with one or the other. You guys have some amazing stories. I'm curious, just following the line, can you think of like a recent story with one of your users that you've heard that like gets you excited? We were working with a software engineer. This was really fascinating. He is Chinese, so Mm. works on a team. Most of them are are Chinese. They've moved to the United States, so they're now Chinese Americans here on H-1B visas. They communicate in Mandarin, which he made the point is like, look, if I just work with these three other engineers, it would be totally fine. Like we'd be able to get our job done. The problem is I obviously have to work with other people. And so when I did that, it felt like I was getting transported to like a totally different company in a totally different part of the world. Like his words were like, I might as well just work for a different company and had actually Mm -hmm. considered like, maybe I should move back to China through Lingo Live through the work with his coach, he had actually been able to obviously improve his confidence and his tactical English communication skills to actually be able to feel like he belonged at this company, not just in the subculture within the company that he was working in an engineering pod on. So it was pretty cool hearing him talk about that and how like significant it was for his family. Like the fact that he had had honest conversations with his spouse about like, maybe we should move back to China. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This like learning experience helped him like, not do that. He didn't want to do that, but he didn't want to also feel like he didn't belong at work. So that was a really powerful one. I love that story. One of the things that you've now mentioned all hands and QBRs. One of the things that I think the gift of the length of time that Lingo Live has been around is you've had more time than most to really figure out what are your routines and rhythms of running the business, right? That oftentimes we're just kind of like flying by the seat of their pants and figuring out Could you give us a sense of like, if you were giving advice to Tyler 10 years ago, any of these routines and things that you feel like you started later than you would like to? That's a great question. Mine are more philosophical, less tactical around like, you should do all hands, you should do OKRs, any of that stuff. I think it's more simple language around clear priorities, how you're going to measure success on those Mm -hmm. and make it small, right? Like no more than three priorities for a year. And then just kind of being relentless about saying no to everything you likely don't have like accounts receivable in that priority, yeah. but like yeah, you have yeah. to do that. So again, <laughs> there's like some, you know, gray area there, but I think that's something I really failed at early on was like trying to capture everything that needs to get done in the company is really bad management. Mm. Instead, what is better is just saying, here's the top three most important things. Of course, there are things, this represents 80% of the work that we need to be doing. Of course, there are other things like collecting cash from our customers, making sure that we you know, our interactive classroom where like there's some just business as usual stuff that we're not going to represent. But I think being really clear about what's the strategy, why 
There was a great book I read called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy that helped me Mm. with that. So I would definitely recommend for folks to read that one. Related to that, that concept of focus, I think Crossing the Chasm is fantastic book. Mm. And again, as I mentioned, we've kind of gone through three companies over the 11 years. And so each time we kind of went through this pivot from B2C tutoring marketplace into B2B language coaching and now into leadership coaching more broadly, I've reread that book about how do you mm. focus in on a very specific beachhead strategy and then use that to wedge into other potential use cases. And I think the biggest thing that's coming up now and I'm really trying to lean into is just super honest and transparent, like no bullshit. I would much rather kind of get burned being a little bit too transparent Mm. and maybe sharing something that the team's not ready to hear. Well, obviously, like there's some things aren't in the best interest of the team to know, but that's very, very, very few things. And they come around very rarely, honestly. So I think just leaning into like no bullshit. Here's what's going on. Here's what our board meeting was about. So like we'll share the full board slides with the team. We'll talk about like everything that the board gave feedback on. We'll talk about like runway. Here's the like doomsday scenario. This is what that could look like. And some people can't handle that. And I get it. But I think it reinstills the like the idea that like, look, maybe you didn't know what you got into when you joined a startup. Maybe you thought joining a startup was going to just be a ton of fun all the time and free kombucha or whatever. But like, it's not. It's insane. It's totally, it's not a normal business. Like you're not sustainable. You have a bunch of things you need to prove out. If you don't prove them out, you shut the company down. Like that is a very real threat. And so you want to make sure that people know that and feel comfortable with it and can ask questions. And if they're not comfortable with it, help them move on and find something else that they are more comfortable with. Tyler, there was so much wisdom in what you just shared. I think there are a couple of pieces I just wanted to reiterate because of how much they just gel with my experience. I think the first is kind of that lean towards transparency. I do think that requires a great degree of like vulnerability and courage from you as a leader. Like the more you reveal, the more stuff your people have to throw back at you. You often don't have the choice about whether your people will know something's up or not. You only have a choice about how they're going to view your behavior. Not only you said there's very few things that are not in people's best interest to not know. I'd say there's an even smaller set of things that it is like reasonably possible not for your people not to get wind of. Of course, in this magical theoretical world where like you could truly just keep this information from people, there might be a way that is. But typically... All I see leaders do is choose the like anxiety and chaos of uncertainty over just like the honesty of over like the clarity that comes from honesty. Clarity, not certainty. I think that's the key. Clarity, not certainty. And I say that over and over again. I can't give you certainty. I have no idea what's going to happen. Here's the clear strategy that we think is going to help us navigate this unknown. But if you're looking for certainty, you are in the wrong place. One other piece of wisdom is you've said a couple of times now how you've really thought of Lingo Live being three different companies. And I I wonder if that actually is the secret to your longevity as an organization, because I think that any organization over that period of time, the market is just changing too much for that not to be the answer. And I think of it actually as a reflection of the adaptability of your leadership style. But could you walk me through, I imagine that must have been really challenging for your people to go through. We thought of ourselves as one thing today. CEO now has a different vision responding to the market, like how you guide an organization through like that degree of shift. (laughs) 
as, as well as you can, I suppose. I'm, I'm thinking about, <laughs> we had an employee leave recently. He's just moved on. He'd been here for close to five years. And he said to me, to the point of transparency, he told me point blank. He's like, I just don't know if, if Lingo Live is going to be successful. You've had to kind of figure this out multiple times before. It's mm. kind of worked. It's kind of not. I've seen this movie and I don't want to kind of go through it again. Not that yeah. I didn't like it when we did it, yeah. but that honesty was like, that's super fair, right? <laughs> we haven't been a smashing success. And so I totally get why you want to move on and say goodbye. I think that what it comes down to, Thomas, is not like responding to shifts in the market as much mm. as it is realizing you're not as smart as you thought. And the problem that you're solving either isn't as big of a problem as you thought it was, or you're just not great enough at solving it and you need mm. to change. And that's where that transparency and that honesty comes in, whether it's telling a team that, hey, we're not going to hit our revenue goals here for this language coaching because we vastly overestimated the market size and demand yeah. for solving yeah. this problem. Or in the case of leadership being clear that like, hey guys, we're kind of a one trick pony and like our product's not great enough to solve these different other needs. So we need to figure out other ways to address this problem besides the kind of one-on-one coaching that we do today. I so appreciate the honesty there, the reality of that. To be fair, there is one other piece that is separate from, is the problem big enough? How good are we at solving the problem? But what is the state mindset and readiness, the readiness, willingness, ability of your customer to take on your solution? And my favorite example of this is, as you know, when we first met years ago, I was working on my startup, Tribe.ai. I was an AI-powered leadership coach. We were working on a very simple idea of we're going to pull up data from what happens in meetings, channel that into basically a report on how well a leader is leading that and pull that stuff through. Real problem. Everybody thinks meetings could be run better. We're generating a ton of awesome data that we should push forward. I'd say, though, that we burned two years of runway solving two problems. The first was how we were going to differentiate effectively between voices. And the second was how we were going to then build our transcription model from voice to text. These two are unnecessary problems today. Everybody's on Zoom. All that effort in terms of trying to distinguish bodies is not how anybody's solving the problem today. These days, an API for transcription is really, really cheap, coming with people who have vast more data resources than we do, right? And so there's this space of like, oh, wow, if we'd hit the market now trying to solve the exact same problem with our solution, it would have just felt like much easier to get to. And that's an amount of time, right? Like getting right. that in there. But that dirty uncertainty of the world of... Um, totally. I mean, it is the definition of entrepreneurship. You're raising your hand to play yeah. in that crazy game. And that's why I think I'm able to kind of be humble and okay with failure is that luck has mm. so much to do with mm-hmm. it. Timing, yeah. getting the timing right has so much to do with it. But that's why you just have to be super honest and objective and clinical about like, is this a problem that's worth solving? And it sounds like it was with Tribe, but then the issue was like, how quickly can we solve it? How effectively can we solve it? And you kind of get hung up on some of the things that you just mentioned before. It's super, super hard. I love this show 
Silicon Valley. Not that this is what I was striving for, but there was like the founder, Richard, was talking to a VC and he like pretends to be an Uber driver to get in the VC with them. And he was like <laughs> telling him how much trouble he's having. And, and the VC leans forward and goes, oh, I'm sorry. Is it hard to become a billionaire? <laughs> it just like gets out of his Uber. <laughs> Again, not that that's what I'm solving for, but yeah. it just made me laugh because it's like, yeah, this is very, very, very hard work. And by the way, so is every job. Buckle your chin strap. There's no easy <laughs> cakewalk out there. I know you to be a very dedicated father, partner, and need support even to your extended family. How do you do that? How do you think about balance across those? Is balance even the right framework for that? Really good question. So we have, and this was actually something, Thomas, that I was thinking about adding to the like learnings of a founder 10 years ago, if I could talk to myself yeah. 10 years ago is like, enjoy the ride, have fun with it, you know, because mm. it is a lot of fun. I mean, there's been so many fun memories with people. That's definitely been the best part of the journey is, and I promise I'm going to get to your question about being a father <laughs> and, and a husband, yeah. that idea of like connecting with other human beings, how we started this conversation. Like the best part of the job has been having people come on board who are almost as passionate as you are about this, yeah. way more passionate than you would ever have thought an employee would have been. And so one of the core values that we have is no one is going to die. <laughs> but it's basically this idea of like, look, there's a lot of people whose jobs, like lives are at risk every day. My friend is an OBGYN, right? Like we are not performing surgery here. No one is going to die. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't take the work seriously, but we should enjoy ourselves. And I'm very explicit with the team that this is quote unquote, my baby. And mm. it is nowhere near the most important thing in my life. I'm trying to be a great husband, great father and build a great company in that order. And mm. I'm not really willing to compromise on that. And you shouldn't either. So whether that's, you know, your friends, your family, your faith, your hobbies, whatever it is that is the most important thing to you outside mm. of this job, we owe you the responsibility of ensuring that this job is not sucking your life away from you. And so that's a unique one. I think a lot of other companies aren't so explicit. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to work your ass off. You are, but this isn't going to be a 80, 100 hour week job that prevents you from spending time on things that are that are more important. And so, yeah, you can see it behind me. I got pictures of my kids everywhere. And, yeah. Um, for me, that's kind of, you know, what's most important to me. And what yeah. that looks like is, yeah, making some tough calls, whether that's with the board or with my team taking breaks when I need to. So I take, I think, a lot of vacation for a startup founder yeah. CEO. I take three yeah. to four weeks a year. I talk to other founders that are like, I haven't had a vacation in two and a half years. That's just crazy to me. I have to, mm. you know, spend one-on-one -on -one time with my wife, go on trips with her every year, do trips with my kids. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from, but mm. it's always been really important to me. And so I've just made it an intentional thing that if it's important to me, there's some version of this for everybody that works here. You mentioned as you were kind of framing that answer for us, this is a journey and it is really important to enjoy the journey. And as you were talking, I was just struck by the wisdom there. And I said something and I tell my different teams, it's like, we don't actually guarantee the final outcome of this like startup journey. There's a whole lot that's outside our control, but what is in our control is to live the journey in such a way that we'll be proud of how we lived it, no matter what the outcome. And I just hear that so clearly in the way that you've chosen to do this. And on the flip side, though, I do think a lot of Lingo Life success 
success is actually owed to the fact that you have chosen to live that way. I'm just curious, we've touched on a number of things and like, you know, pull them together. But if you were to quickly kind of summarize it up, what are like the core pieces of advice that you wouldn't want to leave behind? Yeah, another core value comes to mind, which is embrace reality with an open mind. Embrace reality with an open mind. I think that's, again, every word is intentional there. So trying to get to the um, the root of things, I think for any entrepreneur, that's the challenge is really trying to separate the noise from the truth and get to, mm. again, what is the problem here? Who For whom does that matter most? How big of a problem is that? And is there a path for you to be able to actually solve that? And a lot of the work there is checking your ego and excitement and infatuation, not to take the fun out of it. Is there something here or not? And if there's not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you're stupid or you failed or whatever. It means a myriad of different challenges that were always going to be in your way were too difficult Mm -hmm. to overcome. I think the open mind piece is really important too. It connects back to the empathy that we talked about at the beginning. So as you go through these challenges, having an open mind, that allows you to understand others' perspective, understand things like what you said with Tribe AI, where it's like just the timing of it was like Mm -hmm. actually what kind of killed us versus if you think about that today, could be a different story. And so I think just having an open mind, it it allows you to work together more cohesively as a team to Mm -hmm. finding success because you're able to kind of appreciate someone else's perspective and synthesize that with your own and kind of figure out what is right instead of Mm -hmm. who is right. Because the truth is always so, so nuanced. So that's the big thing that I try and think about. Like, I wish I could have told that to 28-year-old Tyler because he spent so much time banging his head against the wall, chasing things that he thought were good ideas, but that weren't actually rooted in reality. And it's Mm. actually a lot easier to get there if you just have an open mind and listen to customers. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. It's, uh, this was amazing. Thank you for your wisdom. Regular listeners know that I like to end venture visionaries with spoken stories where we don't just hear from the people at the top, but the people around them who really make businesses work. This week's spoken story um, is going to function a little differently. As I was reflecting on my conversation with Tyler, I was struck again and again by the courage with which he faced failure and how that opened new doors for him in Lingo Life. And when I think about one of the people I know who best understands what that really takes for an entrepreneur, I think of my friend James Pratt. James is an executive coach working with early startup founders, and he's somebody who I regularly have gone to and send people to when I need critical advice on how to handle the hardest moments. And so I shared a little bit about my conversation with Tyler, with James, and asked him for what advice he would give for other entrepreneurs trying to build up the same kind of courage that Tyler so exemplified. Here's what James had to say. As a startup founder, it is likely that you will fail. You're free. You don't need to fear failure because you probably will. And that brings us to the end of our conversation today, folks. Your time is a gift. Thank you for spending a little bit of it with me and the other guests we had today. And I hope that as you go through the rest of your day, you gift a little bit more of it to yourself, whatever that looks like. Until next time, keep dreaming. I'm Thomas. Thomas.